It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Paul Dottino, and Jeff Fiegel's with you. The phone number, 973-667-1960. And Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find it on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So today, folks, you know, last year during the offseason, our very long offseason, <laughs> we took some time. And we made some predictions for the upcoming year. And at some point, we had to review them and see exactly how terrible we were. Well, <laughs> that, their predictions. that day is today. So I figured we could have some fun, make fun of ourselves a little bit. Because uh, on first glance, these are pretty ugly guys. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so we'll kind of go through that. And, of course, we'll take your calls along oh, the way boy. at 973-667-1960. Gentlemen, how are you today? Good. Good. Hello, hello. Doing well. Doing well, Johnny. How's you? Good. Everything is okay. We have a, this one of our quiet weeks. Then we get the Senior Bowl. We get the Super Bowl. And then we kind of get into that dead period until, well, heck, without the NFL Combine, it might be until almost draft time where we kind of have to manufacture a lot of draft talk here, which is fine. We'll have kind of those pro days spread out throughout now the season, and we'll kind of deal with it that way, which is something a little bit different. But for today, let's take a look at our preseason predictions, folks. We did over-unders for a lot of the guys' specific statistical categories. I figure we could have fun reviewing those. Jeff, you okay? Yeah, fine. Well, fine. Just well, went to, you went fall to, down? No, I went to scratch my nose and hit the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this year what we did, we took a look at some major statistical categories for players. We either went over or under based on a lot of these. So here's where we are, folks. Let's take a peek. Let's start with Daniel Jones. We said his over-under of completion percentage at 63-and-a-half. Mm. He ended up at 62-and-a-half. So he improved a little bit from where he was, but not as much as we thought he would. All of us had an under on that. Lance predicted specifically 62.9, apparently, which I have written down. <laughs> Are and you serious? I, I have it in parentheses, 62.9. I don't remember it, but I wrote it down, so it has to be true. And uh, I'm not surprised Lance would do something so ridiculous. And we all had unders on that, but Tino had an over. But I think for the most part, Daniel Jones, especially on his deep ball guys, was more accurate this year. He yeah. so. So he, I'm sorry. So he, so he was at 62. The number was 63. Was uh, that, well, the, the over under was 63 and a half, and okay. he came in at 62 and a half. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, you know, I think the the thing that we discussed the other day, and Jeff, you weren't on that show, but but John and I had looked at a number of different mm-hmm. aspects of Daniel Jones's game, and the interesting part about it is that other than the touchdown passes and then obviously the touchdown pass to interception ratio because the TD pass number was so low, in every other category, Daniel Jones showed at least minimal, if not big-time, improvement. And I think that's the really good part about this, that if you go beyond the regular football card stat line, it's very, very true what Joe Judge has said. Daniel Jones absolutely progressed in so many ways in his second season, and it's totally understandable why the Giants, Dave Gettleman, and Joe Judge would have faith in him as being the franchise guy. Um, question, I don't know if you have the answer, cause, but I think it, has a, it dictates a lot of this number, is that where were the Giants receivers on drop passes? Because this obviously affects the percentage completion. Right. So we're going off of straight numbers right right now. We're not going off of yeah. any type of uh, next generation stats as far as, you know, catchable passes. But, you know, I, I think that when you look at this season, it just sure did seem to me, guys, that there was a lot of passes dropped this year. That so if those passes were, you know, some of them were caught, then maybe he does get above his 63 percent of the over under. Yeah. Daniel Jones, is a, they have a, something called adjusted completion percentage mm-hmm. that also went up from last year to this year. So, yes, yes, okay. that, that is true. Now, everything else is going to be under in this category in some ways, good in some ways, bad. So he had his yards at thirty nine hundred right. over under, because okay. obviously he came in at twenty nine hundred under on that. Me and Fiegel's had over on that. The Tino and Lance had under touchdowns at thirty and a half. Obviously 
Obviously, that Bro. came as a way under. Um, Lance and I were over on that because we thought the Giants' defense would force him to pass a lot, which ended up not being the case. Interceptions, we had him at 15. That ended up being under, which Detino was right on. The other three of us were wrong on that. Really? And then fumbles at 12 and a half. He finished with 11. Mm. All of us had an under on that except for Lance. That was over. So I think the overall production, guys, I think what kind of fooled us on Jones was how the Giants offense had to operate this year. I was operating under the assumption that the defense was going to be pretty poor and they were going to have to throw a ton. Once that wasn't the case, it made sense that a lot of these numbers were a little bit lower than we thought they were going to be. Yeah, and we'll get to Saquon, sure enough. But, I mean, I, I, I was – and I think uh, – I don't know who else went with me, but I was I was anticipating a lot more completions and yardage in the passing game from 26. So I think that's kind of where I wanted where I went over for the numbers, and I think that was part of it. So – and obviously that didn't happen. Yeah, obviously we're not going to go through all of Saquon's numbers here yeah. because every single one of them is obviously going to be under. That yeah. doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we'll jump over that. Now let's go to the receivers where I think it's interesting. So what do you want to go here? Do you want to go Slayton, Ingram, or Shepard first, guys, or Tate? What do you want to do? Let's go Ingram first. You want to go, <laughs> Jeff wants to tie in his Ingram Hill. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so for Ingram, wow, these actually turned out pretty well. So for his reception numbers, I set the over-under at 59 and a half. He finished with 63. All mm. of us had over on that and were correct, except for Paulie Dots, who came in at 59 and a half. Uh, the over on the reset for yards was 715. Ooh. Fiegels was over on that. The rest of us were all under. He finished with 654. And then touchdowns, we said, is over under at five and a half. He only finished with one. Uh, me and Fiegels were over on that touchdown mark, and Dots and Lance were under. So I think we actually <laughs> nailed Ingram's stats pretty well. Now, as I said, Jeff was all in on Ingram this year, so he was over on everything. But <laughs> I, I, I actually think his production, guys, just based on where we thought it was going to be, Pre since he played all 16 games, was actually pretty in line with what we thought. Yeah. This whole over-under thing and fact fiction in 2020, like the whole, the whole year, it was stupid. I was horrible from start to finish with all of this stuff this year, including including our pregame stuff. So, but I was all in on. And by by the way, um, I thought that he was going to have a super year because I think that this offense was going to really be designed around him with 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 Saquon too. So that's obviously why I went o over on everything. But yeah, I think you're right, John. I mean, pretty much uh, the, the numbers that you picked out of there are pretty consistently is what he hit at. You know, you, you other know, than his drops. Jeff, the interesting part. And, and in all honesty, I mean, if you strictly look at the production and you don't look at the stuff he left on the field, mm -hmm. you say to yourself, well, 63 catches was tied for fifth amongst NFL tight ends. He was four behind Hawkinson and, and uh, nine behind Thomas. Um, so, you know, he's right there solid in, in a top five spot, which I think you would sign up for, you know, at any given time. The problem is he left like 11 drops on the field, yep. okay? Uh, 654 yards. That was eighth amongst uh, tight ends this year in the National Football League. And, oh, by the way, within 20 yards of Logan Thomas and Noah Fant and within 50 yards of Mark Andrews. So he was right there in a cluster in that, in that next level. So, again, I think you would sign up for that any season. The problem is you look at the one-touchdown catch – which is in, not acceptable, and you look at the 11 drops, three of which were deflected for interceptions, and now you start to get disgusted. Yeah, and, and, and that's the problem. A couple things to note. His average depth of target did get a lot higher this year. And a lot of people were complaining, oh, they don't throw it to Ingram down the field. I don't understand it. Everything's short, short, short. Well, then they need to explain to me then how his average depth of target was the second, high of his, second highest of his career right? at 7.4 yards when last year it was 6.5 and the year before that it was 5.5. Now his yards per reception were down a little bit, but that's because his yards after the catch per reception were the down. lowest of his career. Mm -hmm. So just a couple things to note there. He had 11 explosive plays this year. That's 15 or more yards. He had eight last year, 11 the year before that. So they were targeting him down the field a little bit more, but he just wasn't getting those. I remember last year he had that one monster crossing pattern catch that he ran for like 60 or 70 yards afterwards. I think it was against 
Tampa. That was in 2019. I think it was in, against Tampa, right? Where he caught mm-hmm. a pass over the middle, then he just turned it upfield and ran for a mm-hmm. touchdown yeah. in the third yeah. quarter. He didn't have a play like that this year. No. Which probably depressed those yards per reception uh, and yards after the catch numbers. Were his were, were his uh, targets up this year? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He but this was the second most targets of his career since mm-hmm. his rookie year. He had 102 yes. targets this year. There you go. So yeah, and we didn't have an over under on that one, did we? No, we did not. We did not that, get that deep. That's into. interesting because I, I feel like, you know, he was targeted a lot this year. And again, like John or Paul had said, you know, those 11 drops. I mean, if you get eight of them, you know, maybe you get another 120 yards, 150 yards in there. So it would sure. put, put him up there. You know, yeah, but it's I hard think, to speculate. I think Paul made a good point, though. You have to look at his look at this in two ways. You can't overlook the plays he left on the field. That's on tape. That's there, and that's honest. And you have to talk about that. But he did show the ability to be a productive weapon as a receiving tight end. So there are ways to balance those two things. I don't think you can ignore either one of those, and that's how you determine how you want to move forward with them by taking both those things into consideration. Well, and that's why, John, that the Giants decided before the season to pick up his fifth-year option because when you look at the economics of it and he's not amongst the top 15 highest-paid tight ends in the league and you realize that his reception and yardage totals in terms of pure production clearly make him a good value, why wouldn't you pick up that fifth year? No question about it. All right, let's go to Darius Slayton here, guys. We actually did a pretty good job on him, too, believe it or not. So we set his over-under on number of receptions at 61.5. Fegels had under, along with Detino and Lance. I had over on that. He ended up being under. He finished with 50 on the year. We had his receiving yards at 910, which ended up being a little bit high. He finished with 751. Uh, Fegels and I had over on that. Lance and Detino had under. And then on touchdowns, we had him at 7.5. Fiegel still went over on that somehow. <laughs> and Tatino, Lance, and I went under. So I think, and this should not be a surprise, his numbers probably weren't quite as good as we would have thought. And just for some context, in his rookie year with about, let's see, 80 fewer receiving snaps, he had two fewer catches, 11 fewer yards, but five more touchdowns. So... I don't think we saw quite the jump we were expecting from Slayton in year two. I know there was a lot of talk of how banged up he was. He was never yeah. really on the injured list. So, yep. look, if you're on the field and you're playing and you're not listed on the injury report, I'm, I just can't use that, as an, you know, use that as an excuse. But, you know, I think we kind of saw that once teams realized that he was a threat, especially down the field, we saw them put a little bit more attention on him over the top, and that probably depressed his numbers a little bit. Yeah. Well, I think what was really disappointing, John, and, and fellas, uh, you know, I can honestly tell you that after he had that huge game against Dallas, uh, which was his second 100-yard game of the season, and we were only five games in, uh, I think we were all talking about the fact that, oh, my goodness, Slayton has already taken it to the next level. In fact, Phil Sims was doing a Sim spotlight on a show I was doing with John, and Phil was like, oh, there's not a question. This guy's a, he's a number one receiver. I mean, look, he's doing he's doing it. Well, he didn't have another hundred yard game the rest of the year, yeah, and, I think, and and I think that's that's rather disappointing because it really looked as though he had accelerated his development, and then whether or not it was the foot, uh, who knows? But it just did not happen. Yeah, I got to think the injuries had a, a big part of it. Um, you know, just as far as his his production down the field, like the first year. We got excited about this guy. We didn't know really what he was going to become, and all of a sudden he's catching these balls down the field, and that's why I went over last year. I was excited that he was going to be put into this new offense that Jason Garrett was going to run, a more vertical offense, and he was your guy, and I was just hoping that they would have hooked up a little bit more than they did, but I think the injury had a lot to do with his production being down this season. I think it could have been. The other thing is, Jeff and and John Bowles, uh, I had him for double-digit drops this year. And well, that's that's you know it didn't go uh, as noticed as Ingram's because he had three deflections. Did Ingram that wound up resulting in interceptions? Slayton did not have any of those, but double digit drops for for your top receiver is not a good number. All right, let's jump over to Sterling Shepard. Uh, he missed a few games due to injury, and we kind of tried to bake that in because he always misses a couple each year. We had his over under on number of catches. How about this, guys? At 65 and a half, he finished with 66. <laughs> wow. How about that? So, Fegels and Detino were under on that. 
Uh, and Lance. I was the only one that was over, so I'm the only one that got that one right, by the grace of God. Uh, the young <laughs> receiving yards, he finished with 656. We had set the over-under on that at 720. So we were in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. uh, I was uh, Fegels was under on that. He got that right. Lance, Detino, and I were over, so we got that wrong. In terms of his touchdowns, we had his over-under at 4.5. Oh, he finished with 3. Also close. Fegels was over on that one, which was incorrect. Detino, Lance, and I were under on that. So I think Sterling Shepard had a good year, guys. And you take a look at his numbers, you know, they're kind of in line with what he's always done. And yep. for me, yep. he is the Giants' best receiver. Now, he's not You're going to be a number one that you're going to line up outside and he's going to, you know, make all these contested catches and run past a bunch of guys for monster plays. But to me, he is the receiver on this roster that most consistently gets the most separation, has the fewest drop passes, and you can rely on to get open when you need a catch. So for me, to me right now, Sterling Shepard's the Giants' best wide receiver, even though he is not your traditional 1A X-type guy. He's your most consistent. I mean, these numbers, you just go back and look at all the years he's been here. Um, they've, they've just all have been very, very steady. And, you know, a lot of times people just don't get excited over that because it's not sexy and he doesn't have the, you know, the big, big numbers. But you know what, guys? An offense needs a receiver like him. They've got to have a guy that they can go to that you know that the numbers are going to be there day in and day out. We know that he's going to miss a couple games every year. He always does. Um, it's very difficult to, to stay healthy in this league it, anyways, right? But um, I think that he's a guy that I, I agree with you, John. He's a, he's a very good complimentary receiver to a number one. Whether the Giants get that number one or not, I don't know. But he will always be that guy that will consistently get you the numbers that we put on paper. And you look at that numbers. They were close. Those were really close to what we had. Yeah, two things about Shepard that one I really, really like. The other one I'm, I'm a little bit uh, peeved about, maybe. Peeved? The, the one okay. I didn't like. Well, the one I didn't like was his yards per catch actually dropped under 10 yards a catch at 9.9 this year. It did. And for his career, it's over 11. And so his yards per catch for a guy who's mostly playing out of the slot and is going to get manned up, I'd like to see more yards per catch. And, you know, we talk about the separation he gets, and he's actually, I, I think, John, you, you have more of those, uh, you know, funky stats than the rest of us do. I think his separation was one of the top 10 or 15 in the league. Yeah, I don't have that handy. I can tell you his yards per catch dropped 0.2 from last year, 10.1 to 9.9, and most of that had to do with his average depth of target. So last right. year he was a 10.2 average depth of target. This year he was 8.6. Yeah. So that's where most of his drop came there. His actual yards per catch per reception was almost identical last was year it? this year. Mm -hmm. All right, So, but that see, that means then he's got to get more yak. And, and so I'm disappointed in that because for his career, he's averaging 11.2 yards per catch. And, and I need to see more yak out of a guy who does so well in getting separation before the ball gets there, then makes the catch. I, I, I want to see him you know, use some of that space to his advantage after he gets his hands on the ball. So I do want to see some more big plays out of him. His longest reception of the season was 29 yards. And that is by far the lowest mm. of his career. Yeah, you and know I, that's that's that 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 bothers me. Now, what I love, I think I had him for only two drops all season on sixty-six grabs, which is a wonderful percentage in my book. You always want the guy's drop percentage to be six percent or under his total amount of receptions. So he did very well there. And I think what you look at when we're looking at a lot of these guys is, I think. It reflects two things that I think the Giants offense needs to do a better job of last year. And that's something we've talked about, right? We need some more chunk plays in the passing game, and that means more passes downfield. Uh, Daniel Jones' average depth of target was down this year from last year, too. I think that needs to get elevated back up again a little bit. So I think that's important, number one. And I think, number two, there needs to be more plays where you can get these guys the ball either on the move or in space where they can get some more yards after the catch. And we, we talked about this last week when we looked at Daniel Jones's numbers, guys. And the yards after the catch for a lot of these main wide receivers, Slayton, Shepard, and Ingram, they were about static from last year to this year. But guys like Barkley and guys like Tate, they did not have those yards after the catch that they had 
in prior years. So I think it's important to kind of take a look at those numbers and figure out how this offense, whether it's throwing the ball down the field or creating more yards after the catch, can just get more explosive plays because it's just really hard, Jeff, to consistently get these long drives where you're getting a few yards at a time because eventually, especially when you have a young, leaky offensive line, you're going to have a holding penalty. You're going to have a sack. And when you can't get those explosive plays, it's hard to make up for those when they happen. Yeah, I agree. The other thing that I think you need to do is you really have to design plays to get the ball to these guys so they can make plays after the catch. Uh huh. Exactly. You know? mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, a lot of times we saw this season, and at least I had noticed it, that, you know, every time the guys caught a football, there was a defender right there taking them right down to the ground. Um, so that's either by design or by defense because they're, they're covering the receivers very well. But I would like to see a little bit more. Now, I think a lot of that has to do, too, with not having a threat of uh, somebody being able to throw the football down and getting a little bit deep on their coverages, you know, or maybe playing a little off more than normal. That didn't happen this year. These well, guys just pinned up them. Well, I mean, they Jeff, were just constantly. That has to do with the receivers being able to create separation on their own, that's, too, right? That's right. And they have not done a good job at that. Um, you know, we talk about these receivers in the draft and even free agency. It's imperative that they're going to go out and get a number one guy. He better be able to get off the football and get some separation and make some make some plays because that that drove me crazy all season. You know, though, Jeff, that's part of that overall generic philosophy of take what the defense gives you. Now, we know what the Giants defense did. They decided they were going to play a lot of zone. Yeah. And they wanted to take away big plays. So it was good for the Giants' defense to show that because they forced other teams to take what they gave them. And they made it difficult on other teams to make big plays and get those explosive touchdowns. Well, flip it around to the other side. Other teams' defenses saw that the Giants' offense was muted. They saw that you know Slayton wasn't himself. They saw that uh, you know Jones had had some injury troubles later in the year. They saw that Barkley wasn't there. They saw that Ingram was having trouble with his productivity. They saw that Tate wasn't the same guy. So they said, okay, we're going to do the same thing that Patrick Graham's doing to our offense. And they were like, fellas, Giants, take what we give you. And as a result, that's what you get because the Giants did not have enough of offensive skill position players that could force a defense out of that philosophy. All right, guys, we have more predictions here on the defensive side, but let's get the calls. If we have time later in the show, we'll get to them. Well, we can just push them to a later show, which is fine, too. Uh, we did do Golden Tate and Caden Smith. All of those were under, and they weren't particularly close. So I'm not going to waste everybody's times on those. Needless to say, anyone that went over on those numbers was very, very, very incorrect. Caden Smith finished with just 18 catches, and we know about the down year uh, Golden Tate had in terms of his uh, number of snaps and, and frankly, targets and, and all of that where um, he just had his production, his, his production per game numbers were simply way down from what he did the previous year. So that's where we are, folks. 973-667-1960. Big Blue Kickoff 5 is presented by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series of scratch-offs in the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Okay, folks, let's do it. 973-667-1960. Christian is down. I think it was Virginia. Christian, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Um, while I was on hold, I, I looked up some of this stuff for you. I got uh, – so the Giants were seventh in drops in the NFL at 22. Mm. And for reference, the Cowboys were one with 31 drops and the Steelers were two with 30. But if you wanted to defend Daniel Jones and the offense in general – so if you look at Dallas and Pittsburgh, they were also one and two in pass attempts. Pittsburgh with 42 and Dallas just under 40. Yeah. And then the Giants were 26. Oh, well, so if you yeah. look at that, you know, yeah. that's kind of a defense of Daniel Jones if you want to dive deep, if you're, if you're seventh in drops. Well, Colin, to be fair, before you, before you base everything right. off of those numbers, you know, I grade my right. own. I had the Giants for over 40 drops this year, but I'm really tough right. because I have right. a coach's well. mentality, and my coach's mentality says if my guy gets two hands on the ball, then he's got to win it. Yeah, but Christian, to your point, yeah. drop rate is, is more important right. in terms exactly. of number of That's drops per target. That That is the more important number than the than the right. total number yeah. of drops. Sure Correct. it is. And also, also the, the you know, not all drops are created equal. Are you dropping them on third down? Are you dropping them to win the division? You know, like there's a lot. Sure. Not all drops are created equal. No doubt. So that's just something I looked up while I was listening. So, 
the one thing I wanted to ask, I talked to this when I was like screened for the call, and I'm not sure how deep you guys want to dive into this, but do you know anything about the 2020 CBA? It's called Proven Performance Escalator. Do you guys know about that? Yes. Yes. So um, I guess that affected our cap overnight for the, yes. uh, I guess it, what it does is the second through seventh round picks, if they hit certain snap percentages, their base salary increases. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that does definitely affect our cap. If you sure look at, you know, who, who qualified for that, um, it was B.J. Hill, Lorenzo Carter, Isaac Yadam, and Will Hernandez all got, you know, one to two million dollars more towards our cap. Mm-hmm. And I say that just to, I say that to say this. And I, I heard a lot of a lot of good stuff you guys are talking about. We talked yesterday about, you know, Jason Garrett went back and forth. Um, so if you look at the league in itself, I, would you guys agree that it's trending or it, it not trending? It is an offensive driven league, not to not to discredit defense. But would you say it's an offensive driven league? Yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> OK, OK. And, and I understand exactly what you were saying, Paul. What I loved was you said that in terms of limiting big plays, I think you can equate that if you go to advanced numbers. When you limit big plays, that equates to winning. Um, sure. And Patrick Graham took that away. And I look at Dalvin Tomlinson and our guys up front. They really allowed us to play the run, but not bring extra people to the party in the box. Well, well Christian, here's the thing. Yeah, a big trend in the yeah. NFL yeah. now, Christian, is play, right. is trying to play. Remember we went through that whole single high safety craze with cover three for a few years? Yeah. Well, now yeah. defenses are tending to go the other way. And you've seen it with the Bears the last couple of years. The Rams did a lot this year where teams are trying yep. to play their two safeties deep a lot more. And you're right. The Giants' ability yep. to stop the run up front, they play two safeties high, you know, pre-snap, which almost makes teams exclusive. not – Yeah, almost, yep. almost all the time. Now, look, post-snap, right. they would sometimes drop the guy down and move guys around. That's fine. Yeah. But, yes, awesome. yes, that is something the Giants were able to do in a large part because they were able to stop the run with their front. That is correct, yes. Yeah. Now, I ask this not to jump and pick apart every single contract, but obviously the cap going down especially, and with those escalators hitting, you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do within the construct of a cap. And you look at guys like Dalvin Tomlinson, and you look at guys like Kevin Zeitler, who are slated to either earn a bunch of money or are already on the books for a bunch of money. And it, and it really sucks and stinks to think about you know losing good players like that. And I'm just interested in your thoughts as the league evolves to a more, I hate to say this because I'm old school like you, P-Dot, like it's, it's, more, it's trending more and more to like a seven-on-seven seven league. And how much, and I, I love Dalvin. I love, I, he's homegrown, and I love his attitude. He does everything right. He's durable. But in today's league, how much of a luxury do you think paying a guy like that 10 11 $12 million is as opposed to getting, you know, going and taking – a big, big swing on somebody to immediately help Daniel Jones in this offense, which we went over yesterday. Regardless of whether you think the reasons are, we were 31st in a 16-game sample size. We definitely need more weapons, as you guys said yesterday. So I'm just interested in an overall philosophy, how you guys think of like where you invest your resources and as far as which, which, which spots are luxury and which spots are more of a premium. And I'll take that off the air. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate it, Christian. Look, I think, frankly, I think your question is the one that's going to dominate our offseason conversation, right? I mean, how much do you value the run-stopping defensive tackle, which is what Dalvin Thomason is? Look, he's not much of a pass rusher. That's fine. But he's really good at what he does, and he is a great guy, and he's a great teammate. He was the Man of the Year nominee from the Giants, all that stuff. So how do you weigh that versus other things? And now I'll let you guys attack that if you want. I just want to make one quick point. The thing with the dropping cap, I know people are like, oh, you're not going to be any of your guys. Well, here's the thing. Nobody's going to have money to spend. So it's not like now that Dalvin Tomlinson's a free agent, all these other teams have these cap space, they're going to want to throw Dalvin Tomlinson. Well, where are these other teams getting the money from? There just aren't going to be many teams of cap space, guys. So my theory on how, what this offseason is going to look at, and then we can kind of take the broader philosophical question that, that Christian asked. To me, I think we're going to have an offseason where we're going to see a bunch of guys sign one-year contracts for not a ton of money because that's all teams can afford. And then you're going to have one of the most massive, gigantic, huge 2021 free agent classes we've ever seen. 
because you have a bunch of guys coming off one-year contracts. You have your normal group of guys coming off rookie contracts, and the cap will get back up to kind of where it was before, so teams will have more money to spend. That's what in yeah next uh, 2022. 2022, I'm sorry, Jeff. After the 2021 season, so that's what I think is going to happen. Just just on the outside looking in, maybe I'm underestimating the amount of cap space that's going to be around, but. I think it's going to be very hard for teams to, to just throw money around this offseason because of the cap, but that's just me. Well, I, I think that, you know, there are a lot of teams around the league that do have more money than the other just because of the way that they're, they're built. Of course. Um, you know, but, but again, normally in a normal year, you know, you're going into a year where there's, there's always more money because this, this league makes a lot of money, but not this year. So um, I think you're correct. I think, um, you know, the, there's always ways to, and I think we all know this, there's always ways to get cap space by restructuring guys, cutting guys, things like that. And we don't know what's going to happen with the Giants. And we don't even know how much they're going to have left to, to spend here. But that each team has the ability to create cap space by doing the things that I just mentioned. So, But the problem you have, John, like you said, is that there isn't a lot of money. So, you know, you can go and create all the cap space you want, but – there's not a lot of money to go out there and buy buy what you need, and so you're gonna. And to me, with the with the callers, as far as prioritizing, I, I'm you know you look at the philosophies of your head coach and your general manager. I don't have to tell you what the philosophy of Dave Gettleman is, or Joe know, Judge for that, or matter. or Joe Judge for that matter. So to answer your question, I think it's really built into those two things and those two guys. They want to stop the run and be able to run the football. When they got your hog mollies and you got your big dudes up front, I think that's a big concern and a big uh, priority for this team. Your thoughts, Paul? Well, I think the other thing that you have to throw into this is the law of supply and demand. Because, for example, we know that let's just take this particular season with the Giants. We all pretty much agree that their top three priorities in no order are the corner two, the edge rusher, and the wide receiver one. Well, you know going into free agency – and going into the draft, that it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to get that wide receiver one than it's going to be to get the other two positions. So if you decide that you have to either spend more money in free agency to get one of those other two positions because there may be a unique guy out there and supply and demand raises his price, well, then that's what you've got to do because your, your situation dictates that. So I think Christian's question is outstanding It's one you have to go through every single season, but I believe that the answer is different every single season depending upon those specific factors. Like, I would be surprised, and look, I'm not trying to put values on guys, but I I have a hard time to believe in this climate this offseason another team is going to show up and throw the kitchen sink at a guy that's not going to be a high sack guy in the defensive line. I just think that, you know, that's not considered a premium position. In I the mean, league? Had, Snacks Harrison was probably your guy in that situation, right? Sure. I mean, I mean or you want to go to Linval Joseph even, yeah. even before yeah. that. But I think the market might prohibit teams' ability to do that. And, you know, I, I think to frame it, look, and again, to, to Jeff's point, we don't know what the Giants are going to do with some of the existing contracts in terms of how they can get cap savings that way. We don't know what they're going to do with that. But I'm not sure we're at the point where we have to frame it. Well, you either re-sign Dalvin or you can go out and sign Kenny Galladay or Allen Robinson, whatever. I don't think you necessarily have to frame it that way because I'm not sure that's going to, in the end, be the choice until we see exactly where this cap is, what guys get franchise tagged, and when how is much that money tag? is going to be out there. That tag's soon, right? Isn't it February? Uh, no, the tags, I believe the deadline is the first or second week of March, Datino. Yeah. That sounds about I, right. I actually but, have the numbers But it's here, soon, though. It's soon. Here. So, you know, that's something that we have to look at, too. At what positions do you see these guys that we're talking about, the free agents who are with the Giants? Who, which one of these guys has a propensity to maybe get that tag this year? All right. February 23rd to March 9th okay. is your tagging period. But, but here's the question, Jeff. You, meant, you, you mentioned, like, before, or maybe you just said it, John, Linville Joseph. This is a guy who we all knew when the Giants drafted him. He had had some really good years here. Lived, lived through his rookie contract, and we all knew he was a really good player. You know, we're talking about a guy who twice had 59 tackles as a defensive tackle, and in his last two years here had four sacks and three sacks. No, he's a now, to player. be perfectly frank with you, he, he, his performance – 
is not a whole lot different than what Dalvin Tomlinson's been doing the last year or two. No, very no, they're very similar they're players. They're very similar players. And I think the Giants and Giant fans probably regretted the fact that they let Linval Joseph walk well, out the door, right? But look what happened. The Vikings came in and gave him a Briggs truck. Right. <laughs> and all it takes is one team. Right, you're right. To give them a Briggs truck and that guy's gone and you can't blame him. And I agree with you, John, because of the cap situation around the league. There's not going to be very many teams in the market to blow away a Dalvin Tomlinson. The problem is, Dalvin Tomlinson only needs one team to blow him away to leave. That's a good point. Yep. And it might, you know, the Giants are very consistent, and you know, you guys know this. I know it from when I played with them. Is that when they're when they're ready to go to free agency on players, they put a they have a market for that player. They know what the, they put a tag on him, not a franchise tag but they put a number on the, on their players this is what we're willing to pay somebody um and if they don't want it then they, they let them go and look and chest the market now a lot of guys go out there and think that they're gonna hence uh you know marcus golden you know gonna go out there and and think that their market's gonna give them a lot more and it doesn't so you know maybe this is one of those years where the players look at themselves and say listen i know there's not a lot of money out there i'd rather just sign a one-year deal like John was saying, and then let's see what, what, what it bumps back up to in 2022, you know, unless somebody throws a lot of money at me. But it's going to be very interesting, and we're going to get to see it sooner or later because free agency starts first. And, John, if I can add one other small item here, this is why we always warn people on BBKL all the time. Is it, is it like the zillionth time we're going to say this? Stop freaking out about how much cap room a team has because that number is always flexible and it's yep. always fluid and it's always going to move and you never know every year exactly what it's going to be based on what the league tells you. Then you don't know if they're going to tweak or change the rules a little bit because that may open things up. Then you've got incentives that are going to get met that you didn't know about. Then all of a sudden some guy made an extra five, uh, 100000 or an extra million because he had an incentive that you were unaware of, so that changes the number. And then, of course, there's always the opportunity for a team to redo somebody's deal or extend somebody's deal and jimmy with the numbers that way. It's why I can't stand when people read the newspaper articles about salary cap stuff and they think that that is something to chew on. That stuff is so ridiculously uh, wrong and vague, and it, they're, they're pulling numbers out of their butt. We can tell you that the NFLPA today says the Giants have X number of dollars, $4.8 million on their cap. But you know what? When push comes to shove and it all shakes out in the wash, I guarantee you that number is not going to be accurate. It will not. It will change between now and the time that free agency opens. I guarantee you that. Yeah, and just to, just to talk about what Christian said first before we get back to the calls, um, this was something new in the 2020 CBA. It's called, it's, uh, to his point, player performance escalators in the contract. And they basically put these in to reward players on their rookie deals that play well. So there are three levels to it. So basically, um, 60%, if a player plays 60%, these are players entering the fourth year of their contracts, okay? So year number four. If the player plays 60% of the snaps it is in two of the first three seasons, um, he gets a raise equal to the RFA original round tender amount. If it's 55% each of the first three, it's the RFA original tender amount plus 250000 And then level three is Pro Bowl one of the first three seasons. He gets the full RFA second round tender amount. So that's mm -hmm. how they work that. Obviously, those numbers are complicated. We need to get into them. But bottom line is that if you're entering your fourth year and you played really well your first three, your salary is going to get naturally escalated due to the CBA. Mm -hmm. And since the Giants have played so many of their rookies that were picked in that 2018 draft, Lorenzo Carter, Will Hernandez, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. they're they're, dinged. They're, their numbers are going to go up. Now, it's not going to be you know five, six million that's going to kill your cap, but still, if you have three or four guys that go up X number of dollars, it's going to add up in the long run. And, and it's built in. I mean, don't tell, you can't think that you know, Dave Gettleman and, and Kevin Abrams aren't sitting around thinking that we know this is going to happen. Of course. Right? I mean, so you got to kind of put a little to the side. And, you know, like Dave Gettleman has said, you got to put $20 million aside for this and that. And they, they got a number in mind. But they're also speculating or, or guessing that what the cap's going to be the following year. So coming into this season with what the, the COVID had to offer, you kind of had an idea what, you know, where you're going to be. And it's not going to be much. But 
to Paul's point, there's always money, folks. You can always find it. You can grab it somewhere, restructure, cut, cut guys. It happens every single season. There's always those casualties that, you know, that come from the cap. But guys remember, that you, guys that you want to keep, but you just can't. Every time you restructure, you eventually have to pay the piper on that, though. It's dangerous. It hurts you it, down the road. Yes, 100%. And look at some of these teams now that you had mentioned, John. Like, you know, not everybody has a lot of money. You're right. Some people have more money than others, but there's a lot of guys that are strapped. Oh, the Falcons are $30 I mean, million dollars over the cap. Unbelievable. Yeah. See, see that's so. why you have to be very careful that when you do a restructure, it's got to be with a guy who was really in the prime of his career. Right. Because if he's anywhere past that, you will wind up paying dearly on the back end. I'll give you a great example, uh, yeah. right? The Giants have Jabril Peppers now. Going into the last year of his deal, and he's got a $6.7 million base. Now, the Giants know this guy's going on to, on to 26 years old. He certainly has another three, four, five really good seasons left in him. So if you really wanted to get his cap number down, what you do is you sign him to an extension, but in reality it's a new contract because you redo his number mm-hmm. in 2021 and then add three more years onto the back end of it. And by lowering his 2021 cap number, you're also at the same time giving him an extension that you believe you can live with because he will still be in the prime of his career. But that extension is going to have guaranteed money on it. Of course it is. But again, thinking that he's still in the prime of his career for the duration of that contract, you're not necessarily worried about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Giant fans, Giant season tickets are on sale, limited ones, for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Giant fans, get a New York Giants checking account from Investors Bank with a Giants branded debit card, security features, and discounts at the Giants online shop. You can earn up to $250 when you open an account at InvestorsBank.com slash Giants, member FDIC. And folks, one more reminder that Big Blue Kickoff 5 is presented by the New York Lottery, the new X-Series of scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings for, by up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Let's go back to the phones at 973-667-1960. Cole, you're on the line. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yes, hi. Uh, it's Duke from Queens. Hey, Duke, what's up? Uh, so I have two questions. And I also want to give uh, Paul praise, which I don't do enough. But uh, I, I love the point you made, Paul, about um, Shepard's separation not equating to yak yardage. That's something that I never thought about, and I thought that was a very intelligent qualm you had for him this year. Uh, so good point on that. Um, well, he's done it before. Is- you know, he had done better yeah. with some bigger plays and some yak yardage earlier in his career, and that's why it was disappointing to me. That's the only reason. It, it's an eye test. Exactly. Play. No, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Exactly. Um, my first question is this. So, DJ Daniel Jones, uh, you know, his his running, you know, was excellent this year. Uh, he led the league in, in some statistics when it came to quarterback, like, yardage and stuff, rushing yardage. But my problem is last year and this year, his two injuries came from him running. And I just wanted to know, like, how would you handle that moving forward? Because if one of your, if your quarterback, one of your quarterback's strongest assets is running and, and, and yet is leading to injury, like, how do you go about sort of maybe both enabling him, him to do that and sort of restricting the injuries like how, how would you handle that situation i think first of all you tell him to slide a lot more and you tell him <laughs> no seriously and you yeah, tell him yeah, even on these, even in these design runs if you're sacrificing four yards even five yards even by sliding to avoiding a guy you know tweaking your ankle or you pulling your hamstring do it and i think that's fine and i think that's okay i think that's how you do it you don't want to take that weapon away because i think especially once barkley's back having that read option as a weapon makes things even more dangerous, and you can kind of spring Barkley for some more big plays. But I think you tell Jones, look, run the ball here, but look, you don't have to maximize every inch you can get on every play. Look, you still might pull a string here or there. It happens. What can you do? But I just I don't think you can take it away completely, but I think you do it in a more cautious, reasonable way to try to limit the injuries. Paul, I know you feel pretty strongly about this. Well, <laughs> yeah, my, my, my feeling is really pretty simple. 
Uh, I don't like uh, more than a couple of design quarterback runs during the course of a game. I, I would, in my mind, I kind of have an artificial cap number at like four, and that includes maybe one or two quarterback sneaks if you need them. You know, Coughlin never called quarterback sneaks with Eli Manning, and that used to tick me off because the quarterback sneak is the easiest way to get a yard or less. So, you know, it always bothered me that we didn't see that, but his feeling was that Eli was going to get hurt, and he didn't want Eli to get hurt. So he would never call a quarterback sneak for him. Well, I, I come along that philosophy that I don't want my quarterback to get hurt, so I'm not going to call but very, very, very few opportunities for him to, quote, run it. Now, again, if he's going to be moving around with the intention to throw like Fran Tarkenton did all his years, okay, he would scramble like a maniac back there because there was pressure, but he was running around to throw it not to advance the ball where chances are more that he's going to get injured. And and that's what I would tell Daniel Jones. Like, Daniel, if you need to go, you can go, but we're not going to call five or six runs a game right. for you. Now, we're just not going to do it. Now, unfortunately, yeah. Paul, Jones's numbers outside the pocket and on the move are not very good. That's not something he's generally very efficient at. Right. So I'm not sure where you kind of draw that line there. I, I agree with your theory. I'm with you. But that's the one thing I think Jones hasn't shown enough of is his ability to kind of make those off-schedule plays on the move. We haven't seen a ton of that from him yet, despite his mobility. Well, you could, you could escape the pocket by sidestepping somebody or taking you know, three or four horizontal steps to move the pocket a bit, set and fire. That's a lot different than throwing on the run like Russell Wilson or Kyler Murray or, Pat or Mahomes might do. You know, they're throwing on the move, well, and they've been very accurate and dangerous doing so. I agree with you. Daniel Jones does not do that very well. Well, generally, that the problem, mean he can't get out of the pocket. Right, but generally when you're getting out of the pocket, there's some large 300-pound gentleman chasing you. So it's hard to stop setting pass well, yeah. when you got somebody Eli, up your butt trying to Eli, chase you out Eli's, of the pocket. Look, Jeff, <laughs> Jeff, I want you to address this because Eli was able – Eli was not a Kurt Warner statue back there. Eli was able to sidestep guys and get rid of the ball. I think the offense has to be, you know, Daniel Jones is a guy that he can make big plays with his legs. So I don't want to take that away from him. I'm kind of going to go a little bit where John is saying is let's teach him to be, be smarter at, at when, he's, when he's approaching danger. Let's get down. Let's, let's be smart about that. How did you know? he get hurt in Cincinnati? Well, I Paul, mean, that's listen. what happened, right? I, I, well, listen, you, you, but you have to understand the game of football is a physical game. You can't run away from it all the time. No, so, you can't. So I, I feel like, you know, and no, I don't want my quarterback to be running 10 design snaps a game. No, we don't want that. No. But I think right. that we have to understand that this offense is going to be designed by some of the RPOs because it's successful. All you I got need, another idea for you. And by you. the way, by the way, all you need is about two or three RPOs a game. That's it. To keep the That's really all honest. you need. That's, That's all right. you need. And, and by the way, so you get two or three of those, and then you get some of the or maybe the options, scrambles, right. and he can get a little bit better outside the pocket where if he does run, then again, let's just be smart. Let's just have this talk, you know, get a first down. Don't reach the ball out, you know, tuck it away and go for that baseball slider. I got another suggestion for you, and that's just make sure he does a hell of a lot of work with the strength and conditioning guys so that he toughens his body up. Because remember, Bill Parcells used to say all the time, Phil Sims is a football player. He's not a quarterback. He's a football player because Phil was as tough and built and as solid and as thick as some running backs in this league. And I would suggest that if Daniel Jones wants to keep doing some of this stuff and it's going to be part of what they're going to do, I would suggest he makes sure that he's got his strength and conditioning program on high test so that he can deal with some of that. I think he's a pretty tough dude. I really do. I, I think he can. I think he can handle what it is. But you know, if you, I don't think he wants to have the contact either. You know, I mean, he he wants to. He wants to make sure that he gets what he gets and then gets down. I mean, sometimes you can't afford avoid well, it. But I, I think we've seen him let his competitiveness get the best of him here or there. Though I I'm think with that's John fair. on that one. Well, that's my to my point is let's talk about this. Let's let's start to have a little discussion about. I know it's you don't want to take that competitiveness away from from the the player, but we have got to be smart about going forward and trying to get 16 games in. Duke, you oh. have anything else for us? I do. Um, that was all great, though. Thank you. <laughs> You're <welcome. laughs> That was a, full, a mouthful by all of us. So It was good. It was good. Thank you. Um, my second question is uh, drafting pits. Now, there's been a lot of mock drafts as, draft as of late to say to show that we're drafting pits. There's been a lot of uh, Giants fans who advocate drafting pits. 
But my problem with drafting Pitts, I have a few problems. One of my problems is when you look at some of the best tight ends in the league, you know, they weren't drafted in the first round. So that's Kelsey, Kittle, Goddard, Ertz, Waller, Logan Thomas, uh, and the list goes on. Well, Duke, remember, um, generally there aren't there aren't many tight ends usually taken in the first round. Period. So right, exactly, exactly. Right. But as as of late, actually, it's been it's been two. It's the the, the, the the normal amount as of late these past maybe three years has been two. Yeah, well, uh, let me think. Third. It's been Ev- Evan, obviously, Hawkinson, and Joku. No, Fant um, was he one of them? Yeah, Fant was one. That's a good one, Jeff. OJ, OJ mm-hmm. Howard. OJ Howard's another one. Yeah. So yeah, I would say they, I would say about year. one and a half per year, give or take. Exactly. Exactly. So so my my problem that's my first problem. So if you if you ha- and and like the the guy you had on before for draft talk, he said this this is a strong tight end class. If that's the case, don't you just wait in the later rounds for for pitch? And especially if you have an Evan Ingram on your team. Like why? Why just rush to draft Pitts in the first round? Hey, here's the way why I look you, at it. Here's the way I look okay. at it. Huh. I am not against selecting a guy like Kyle Pitts. And look, I have not studied him, so I don't. I don't have my judgment on the type of player that he was. I'm judging on what I've read about him so far. Is that he is a basically a ridiculous weapon that can be a Travis Kelsey type tight end. If that if that's what he is, and I'm assuming that's what he is, I have no problem picking him at 11. Because we've seen what that type of player can do for an offense. And quite frankly, you don't have to pay a tight end like that a ton of money once his contract comes up either. So I would not rule that out. I understand where you're coming from, Duke. And you haven't seen many tight ends go that high. And again, I'm not judging Pitts the player. I haven't studied him a second. But I'm not, just from a philosophical standpoint, against picking him there if he can be that Travis Kelsey type of player. That's kind of where I stand on that. Jeff, what right. do you well, think? Thank you, Duke. Appreciate the call, bud. Thank you. Yeah, I just, I, I just feel like you know, you got to look at what, what you have and like where you want to go with this thing. I mean, are you going to be happy about drafting another tight end in, in the first round? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough one for me. That really is. But I, I one thing I do agree with you is you're not going to have to pay him on the back end very much money unless he's an all-pro like Travis Kelsey. And if we get a guy like that, then that's awesome. Well, and frankly, even Travis Kelsey's not making as much as some of these top wide receivers. Yeah. You know, he, he will probably one day. Nah, he, well, he just got a contract. Well, he, he'll be renegotiating it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think there's a really simple question to answer here, and that is what are you doing with Evan Ingram? There are some people who think if the Giants can trade him that they should. Now, we've already discussed the value in keeping his – very reasonably priced contract on the roster. Well, to me, Paul, he only has one year left on his deal, though. Right. But if for some reason, if for some reason there's somebody out there who says, uh, we want to give you a draft pick for Evan Ingram, the Giants now have to consider, are they better off getting the draft pick Saying okay, the six million of reasonable value is not worth keeping around. We'll take the draft pick and we'll draft Kyle Pitts then in the first round. I mean, if they do that, and I don't think that they will. Let me make that clear, John. I don't think that they will, and I don't think that's the logical way to go. But if for some reason they decide that they're going to deal Ingram for a draft choice, then if you draft Kyle Pitts, it makes a lot of sense in mm-hmm. number eleven. Now, see to me. I'm not going to let a guy that has one year left on his contract dictate who I draft. If you think that Pitts is the guy and you think he's that special, he's worth getting picked that high, I'm not going to let the fact that Ingram's on the roster stop me from picking him. And then I'll figure it out afterwards. That's how I look at it. That, well, that's okay. If you yeah. think Pitts is that great, well, again, then that's okay. Well, again, I don't know if he is or not. But I'm saying I don't if, know either. If, I haven't looked at enough. I'm saying if that's how the Giants think of him – I would not let somebody who's on the last year of his deal stop me from drafting a player that I think is I, I special. Could, and I think that's a valuable take. 100%. I, I also think, though, that right now tight end is not one of your three premium needs. If you trade Ingram, tight end does become a premium need. Yeah, but he's still a playmaker on offense, so he kind of helps you on that side a little bit, right? Even if he was not technically a wide receiver. Right. So, I don't know. Jeff? <sighs> <laughs> It's it's a very tough. I think it's a tough conversation because I think you guys both make great points, and I, you know, to me, uh, I, I want to still. I have a. I I still have Evan Ingram for a, a price that I can afford, for a guy that could be a. You know, can can he get a, a bounce back year? 
Can we get him to, to correct some of these drops and stuff? Because when you look at the production he had, you know, he didn't have a bad season as far as you take away those 11 drops or whatever. It was 11, right, that you guys yeah, had? Yeah, that's I mean, what I got. How I mean, was the, I'm keeping him, too. I, I right. agree with you, Jeff. I'm keeping him, too. So am but I. is there a possibility that that somebody offers you a pick for him? It could look, happen. Is in fairness, look, I think – What's we, a pick, though? Jeff, Fifth round? Uh, no way. Yeah, can we say with some – Okay, let's start here. We have one more call I want to get to, yep. and, and we got to get off in one. So very quickly, are we confident that Ingram is not going to end up being a Kelsey-level tight end? Is he a 60-catch tight end, not an 85-catch tight end? Do we to feel, this point, I think the answer is yes. Okay, he's but, not going to be. But do we right. think he's going to become that guy or not? No. That, that, that's my question. Paul, no. what do you think? No, no. He should have done it by then. Th- he's not a top three or four elite tight end. I agree he's with that. He's in a second level. I agree with that. Yeah. So that's where I think you have to operate from when you're making that decision on how you want to move Then forward. I would well, draft him. Then well, I would draft Pitts. Because let me ask you both of you Pitt, this question. It's I'll ask both of you this question, and maybe you'll have different answers. The Giants, we understand, are going to have to do some finagling with their cap. Now, if they were to trade Evan Ingram, that's $6 million they get back. There is no penalty, no guaranteed money on his deal. That's correct. Okay, they get $6 million back on the cap. What if they decide they need that $6 million to sign both Tomlinson and Leonard Williams? they got to get that $6 million back to keep those two defensive linemen. Now, if they've got to do that, well, then all of a sudden, now you have to start scratching your head and say, oh, boy. Am I we getting had to, We had to, to eat that money. We had, I'm we doing, had to get I'm, that money I, back. I'm doing that deal in a minute. No, but right? here's the problem, though. I, I got to make sure I still have resources to bring in a wide receiver. I, my only off-season addition to your weapons can't just be you still Pitts have the draft, John. No, have the... no, but you're drafting Pitts. Yeah. I know, but no, but you can look at look at the receivers you can, you can get. Draft the receiver in the second round. round. No, I, I I know what you're saying, but if my only adi- if I'm losing Evan Ingram and then my only additions to my skill positions next year are Pitts and a second round wide receiver, I'm not sure if that's enough. Well, Barkley's going to be too. I know. Yeah, but you got rid of but you but you were able to keep the two guys that John that Paul just mentioned though because oh, you, I, you, you I understand that. But Jeff, would you be comfortable if you head into next season? And the only additions to your skill position players are Pitts for Ingram. You lose Ingram, you add Pitts. And right. then you add a second-round wide receiver. And Is that get, enough you get for Barkley you? Barkley back. I understand. I'm talking about passing game. I need a running back. He too, is part of the passing game. I also need a running back in there. We Look, I'm, I'm not that. telling you that that's the way I'm going. I'm right. saying that you have to consider it because it's a viable alternative. Fair. All right. No, I, 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 this I, is the talk that's going to get us these, through the offseason. No, you're 100% right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, Paul, look, it, yeah. it's a very good question. All right, we got one more caller we got to get in. We got about two minutes here. Caller, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? It's Charlie. Paul Charlie, what do you got? Real quick, one point. Real quick, I'm telling you, Pitts is a playmaker. You, when you watch the tape on this guy, he's better than a lot of these wide receivers, and he's got length, he's got skill, he's, you know, he's built. You know, Charlie has watched his is, YouTube highlights, and he's come to his conclusion. Congratulations. <laughs> no, no. Yes, hey, yes. And the other thing is, is that it might make Ingram even better. On the other side, if this guy is a guy, they're going to have to double team, and it might elevate his game. And the thing is, $6 million ain't going to keep you Tomlinson and Leonard. You're going to need a lot more money for those two guys to keep. Six million uh, could six be million more than ha- is going to be more than half of Tomlinson's yearly salary. That exactly. could go a long way towards doing that. Oh, six mil goes a long yeah. way, Charlie. Don't underestimate the value yeah, of that but money. Lennon's going to be about fifteen or twenty million, for God's sake. Yeah, right? but but there are two players in that conversation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is, and and the thing is, I'm just saying, you know, like Patriots had uh, Gronk and they had Hernandez, and you know, two tight ends, two really, it, it could. Elevate Ingram's game. Watching this guy play. No, look, I'm with you, Charlie. I, I would not know? be against having Ingram and Pitts on the roster next year. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. And one other thing, uh, Paul Schwartz had a great article on Daniel Jones, and I think you know if you guys haven't read it, you should read it. I saw it. We're still. Yeah, and if you're still asking the question, is this guy a franchise quarterback? Then he isn't. And the thing is, Paul, you that's not what he like, said, Charlie. No, that's His I'm article saying. was very clear that the, he was in favor of, with some still evidence to be determined, was in favor of Jones being the guy. Did you read the article? But the thing is, it's it's like a it's like a, a banana split, Paul. You know, you got a banana that's all 
brown and black. And you got whipped cream <laughs> that's sour. And you got ice cream that's all melting. I hate bananas, Charlie. Really good, you, you're putting a really bananas. nice cherry on top. So that makes Jones fine. I mean, all those stats you gave me, the most important ones is his fumbles, is his interceptions, is his touchdowns. And his interception and he, percentage was down. And his, his fumbles, fumbles went down. down. What planet are you coming from yeah, on this down, one, Charlie? Down, down from incredible highs. Down from oh, like my NFL goodness. Highs. All right, Charlie, we don't have – Charlie, if you want to call back and talk, Jones, we can. We can't broach this conversation at, at, at 12.59. No. no. Okay? Or 101 even actually is what it is. So, sorry. Can't do that right now. Unbelievable. <sighs> I mean, you know, pitch- I guarantee you Charlie was anti-Phil Sims when he came into the league because it took Phil about four or five years till he finally became what he was supposed to be. We had some great so, calls today, too, you until know, that. It was, it was going so well. I know. You know, the one, the one thing about Pitts is he can play both tight end and wide receiver. Uh, he's not a wide receiver. But let's not yeah, start yeah. that but he can still play, though. He can still play some wide receiver. I mean, you look at what Evan Ingram, he plays some wide receiver. Well, he can, and look he at can, where he lines well, up he at. can split out wide. That doesn't mean he's a wide receiver. Right. Uh, meaning he can play the receiver position but be, still be a tight end. Yes, he can be, he can be yes. a, an, uh, an, an, yes. a, a detached tight end. How yes, is that nomenclature? yes, that's right, right. And, you know, you know, look, again, I want to make something very clear here. These are the kinds of questions that the Giants have to ask themselves, and we're just raising them for you because they're legitimate points right. that must be mulled. We're not telling you that there's a right or a wrong answer here because the truth of the matter is only the second-guessers and the Monday morning quarterbacks get all these answers correct. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giant suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com suites for more information. The New York Giants and Quest Diagnostics want our fans to come back stronger than ever. Now you can order your own lab test through Quest Direct to get the health answers you need most. Big Blue Kickoff Live was presented by the New York Lottery. Presenting... X-Series scratch-offs from the New York Lottery. Multiply your winnings up to 100 times. Please play responsibly. Big Blue Kickoff Live is part of the Giants Podcast Network, which is presented by Investors Bank. You can find the archive of our shows at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants mobile app, and your favorite podcast platforms. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. We'll be back tomorrow with one more show previewing Championship Weekend. We'll see you tomorrow at noon, everybody. Stay safe out there. Uh, We'll see you then. Adios.